0: Uh, as we come to it is Unity Applied Music Part 2 Diversity While Maintaining Unity. This series that we have been on uh, hopefully has shown us the importance of keeping unity in the body of Christ. And I want to personally say that I have been encouraged by a number of you who have come to me uh, right up till yesterday. They've come up to me and been encouraged by the series on unity and how God has used it in your individual lives to help you on this subject. And we've been dealing with unity in the body of Christ in spite of differences, in spite of disagreements, first of all individually, then as a church, and when I say as a church, churches will differ, even among churches. And that we won't go condemning churches because they're a little different from us. We have the right, and I'll just say this, to uh, expose those who are not teaching proper doctrine, who are involved in heresy, who are involved in anything contrary to the things of Christ. But it is not our responsibility to go taking churches that are preaching the word and be playing the role of the Holy Spirit to try to rule what they're doing in their local assemblies. So there's going to be differences. And it's important to have unity in the body of Christ. And we are, through that unity, to be truly loving the members of the body of Christ as Christ has loved us. Why? So that the world might know that we belong to Christ and, through that, be attracted or drawn to him by what they witness in our lives and in our local assemblies. And I will challenge you again, it is very hard work to live that type of life and to maintain that type of unity that we are called to do is hard work, and it needs to be done every day. And there is a one of us who do not drop our guard or do not put it aside from time to time. But it is required of us to be working hard at keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What that does require is our yielding to the Spirit of God on an ongoing basis. It requires, secondly, for all of us, and we usually do not do this, but for all of us to see the big picture of what God is doing, not what any person is doing, not what we are doing. But to take the focus off our personal desires in any individual and focus it on the big picture which is to bring honor and glory to God. And thirdly, by putting others first, and we say that very flippantly, but in reality we function because we're human, we function individually and really want ourselves and our personal interests first most of the time if we're honest even with our own hearts. But we need to yield to the Spirit of God on an ongoing basis, see the big picture, and put others first. Today we come to the last message in this series, and the last message on music. It's only a two-part message, and I've shared with a number of you. I've done extensive uh, teaching on this, up to nine or 10 messages, I think it was, uh, years ago. But this is the last one in this particular series. And I want to remind you that the principles that we have learned for the unity of the body of Christ must, not may, but must be applied in all areas of Christian freedom. All areas. I've simply concentrated on music because of what I opened the series with. But it is to be applied in all areas, not just music. So let's get to the final message on music and on the unity and uh, ask ourselves, how did we get here today? Last week I mentioned to you and don't turn these things off because it will if without these foundational things we won't get it we mentioned last week that music was not a priority in the early church absolutely was not when you look at the book of acts and you see what they did there isn't even a mention of music so with the early church music was not even a priority however it has become a priority in the contemporary church. And that's a reality. What was the priority was the preaching of the word of God. And that should never change. It is a fact today that sermonettes are becoming the pri- where the church is gone. Music is becoming the dominant thing in services. And somewhere along the line is a preaching of the word or acting out of the word or whatever. But the priority is not the word of God. And it should be in the contemporary church. Preaching should remain. I want to look at a brief history of church music with you today. And I have a lot to cover with a little time. But it is very important that we look at some history. And in doing that, obviously, this is not exhaustive for you today. I have tried my best before the Lord not to be biased on any of this, but simply to present to you what I felt was essential in this type of series, but enough to give you what you need and to be factual on it. Let me repeat this. I am dealing with the history of church music. We are not talking about Old Testament Jewish temple worship. That is an entirely different ball game. It was strongly involved with the senses when you deal with temple worship. The temple worship was centered around the senses. It was involved with sight, smell, touch, sound, and you will see all of those things. Music was a big part of temple worship. At one stage, David had 4,000 instruments, according to 1 Chronicles. He had 288 skilled men, according to 1 Chronicles 25. Nehemiah points out that there were two choirs that were used at one point with the temple, all approved by God. So there was all kinds of different things with the temple. That is not what I'm dealing with. What about the New Testament church? Let's first look at the text that I gave you so we don't just read the text and ignore it. It is important, as I pointed out last week, in the New Testament there are only two primary texts that anyone, even in the contemporary Christian uh, music movement and in contemporary music or traditional music, there's only two main texts that they go to because that's all there is. Yes, there are passages that mention song and singing in Revelation, a little bit in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians and so forth, but very, very little. And the two texts uh, I gave to you in the response of reading in this one. So let me just briefly point out a couple of things to you in this text, First uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 27. You'll notice that in this passage, that it is dealing with a contrast. And the charge is, do not be drunk with wine. Why? Very simply because alcohol will control you. Anyone who has ever uh, been drunk realizes and knows or been under the influence of alcohol that it takes over your senses. You don't think right, and a number of things happen. You are controlled by it, and the reason I say that is if you want to understand what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, you have to understand that. And in the context, he's talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. He says, in contrast to being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit of God. And understand this much. When it talks about being filled with the Spirit of God, it's not talking about getting more. It's not talking about taking a car into a gas station, and you got a half a tank, so you fill it up more. That is not the concept of the filling of the Spirit. That's a wrong concept that people have. To be filled with means to control by. It's the same context, the same verse as being drunk. Don't be be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. So a Christian that is filled with the Spirit isn't just enthusiastic, emotional. Those things may be true. That's got nothing to do with it. It's got to to do with being under the control of the Spirit of God, which means the life is producing everything that honors God. And he shows you what it looks like. The evidence of a Spirit-filled Christian is found speaking to one another in psalms in hymns in spiritual songs. And I will say for the benefit, without getting into the detail because again of time, that the Psalms were usually referring to our Old Testament psaltery. And though many, many, many good people have tried to distinguish between hymns and spiritual songs and get into hymns in the hymn book and and choruses and so forth, there is no evidence with the language, there is no evidence with history that there's any distinction whatsoever between those things. There are just different ways of expressing a spirit-filled Christian that expresses themselves uh, by way of speaking to one another, not even singing, but speaking to one another with the psalms, with the hymns, with spiritual. The word songs, and I mentioned earlier, could just be poetry, the word songs just means praise, end of discussion. It doesn't mean singing. It just means praise, period. That's all the word song means. That's where it comes from, that root word. Then he says, singing and making melody, and what that is dealing with is instruments. The making melody, every connection that you will look at, as you go back to that Greek terminology, and you look, it had to do with the, the, primarily, the instruments like a violin or a clinging, or a a type of uh, clinging on that type of instruments. And the point is this. First of all, as you look at the passage, The evidence was a changed life. Rather than being controlled by alcohol, people were now under the control of the Holy Spirit and their entire lives represented a praise to God. And the evidence of salvation and being filled with the Spirit was a changed life. That is not just chapter five. If you look very quickly to chapter four, beginning in verse 25, look at the evidences of the Spirit filled. It says, Lay aside falsehood, speak the truth. That's an evidence of salvation. Be angry, verse 26, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon that. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The one that stole, verse 28, his life has changed. Don't steal any longer, but provide things. Let only a wholesome, no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only that which edifies. It's a changed life. Don't grieve the spirit of God. Because you were sealed by him. Let all bitterness and wrath. There's a challenge right there. Very practical for Christians. Is that what's coming out of your life? Then you're not spirit-controlled. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave, and so forth. That is the evidence of a changed life, as well as speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it says, in singing and making melody, where in your heart, It's a life that has a heart that's truly given over to God. It's a contrasted life. And I also want to point out to you that it is not dealing with corporate worship. Ephesians chapter 5 has nothing to do with corporate worship. Nothing whatsoever. It's talking about what should be true in every Christian's life. Every Christian should be rejoicing and showing forth, speaking to one another in Psalms, and singing, because their life has changed. And what they should be doing is always giving thanks in the name of the Lord, and also being subject one to another. It's not just verse 19. All of that is the evidence of a changed life that God has worked in. And it'll be seen by speaking to one another, by singing, by giving thanks, and submitting, and so forth. And what you need to see is the aspects that are being pointed out here is that the nature is defined by a contrast to the flesh. The source of the person's life is the Holy Spirit, contrasted with the old life. And it reflects the character of God, verse 18. And it is intended, watch this, verse 19 is intended for believers and for God. It is not intended for unbelievers. No matter what you do with the music in verse 19, it is not intended for evangelism. It is not intended to appease the world. That singing and making melody is to bring praise to God, and it is to be done among believers, periods. That's the way the music was to function. Now, having said that about the verses, let me give you a brief history, and it'll be brief. So this is kind of where you have to, it's a little boring in some sense, but it's important. In the first three centuries of the church, there is very little, and I've done a lot of reading on it, and you can do a lot of reading, there's a lot of guesswork, but there is very little that can be said with certainty as to what the music was for the first three centuries. What is known is this, that the early church, without exception, always in its services and whatever music they had, distinguished itself, distinguished itself from pagan idolatrous worship, always. Secondly, it distinguished itself from empty Jewish ritual. They wanted the distinction. And thirdly, they absolutely distinguished themselves from worldly philosophy and practices. There is no question about that. In all of their service, in all of their activities, in whatever music they have, they made sure that it distinguished themselves from those three things. That it didn't want to be associated with pagan worship. It didn't want to be associated with the Jewish uh, uh, rituals and their type of thing that meant nothing and was empty. Nor did it want the philosophy of the world, nor its practices. Whatever singing was done in the first three centuries, was all done by chant. That they know. There was no metric system. And what it did involve, from the best that could be discovered, was it required, it involved, first of all, just what he's saying here, Psalms. And then it involved God's victory in the life. And thirdly, it involved praise for who God is and for what God had done. It had nothing to do with how a person felt. It had everything to do with God's victory and what God had to do. It was in the fourth century that metric was introduced, and we still see that in the hymnals today. What is that? Quarter notes, eighth notes, fourth of a beat, eighth of a beat, that type of thing. That's when it was introduced. And the churches in the fourth century, as you look back, basically sang the songs, now listen, the Psalms, but they were put to the tunes that they knew. Whatever tunes they knew, they put it to, because that's how they were learning them. In the fifth through seventh centuries, a couple of things, and you'll see that it it's very limited that was going on. But in the fifth through the seventh centuries, to jump ahead, where do you see the next gap I give you? Uh, two key things happen, and they both happened in Roman Catholicism. Pope Gregory standardized chants, the Gregorian chants. Pope Gregory came in with chants and he standardized them. Secondly, singing was primarily done by clergy, and that is where you got the break, it was in the fifth to the seventh century, of the concept of the clergy and the laity, because only the clergy sang, or choirs. They established choir groups and choirs or clergy sang, the people did not sing. When you come to the Dark Ages, or what's known as the Evil Period, all the way up to the 15th century, there's the big gap, there was harmony that was introduced, and the primary singing was done by choirs and groups that were put together, such we have two people, four people, six people, that type of thing. That's the way it was done. There was almost no, there was some, but almost no congregational singing all the way up through the 15th century. Then came the Reformation. The 1500s and the 1600s, then what happened? The first hymnal that we can go back and look at history came in 1501, and it was for the Bohemian Brethren. The first Protestant hymnal was in 1524, and it was done by Martin Luther in 1524. Several key events happened during that time. Congregational singing became popular. The Anabaptists sang a lot of songs. The Anglicans put an emphasis on singing. Classical music came into being. And congregations began to sing songs, really for the first time, on consistent basis. A Couple of very important things to note. The emphasis on the songwriting was theological content, dealing with the character of God and dealing with him. It had nothing to do with repetition. Verses were put in a second verse, and a third verse, and a fourth verse, all to deal with theology and the character of God. It was not repeating the words over and over again. So that I'm fair about it, and people realize it, and might want to hear about it, Calvin himself emphasized that singing should be done. But he emphasized that it should be done without instruments. That was his emphasis during that period of time. In the 18th and 19th century, moving it forward ahead, closer to us, gospel hymns became very popular. Radio, chalk that up, radio became popular for the first time. Prior to the 18th and 19th century, people didn't listen to music like you do and I do every day. They didn't have it available to them. Radio was a very significant event. Evangelism became the priority, and the music changed in the 18th and 19th century and started to put an emphasis on evangelism. Why? Because of camp meetings, tent meetings, and such names as Moody, Sankey, and he was a primary one, And Crosby, names that you and I know today, came in the 18th and 19th century. Youth for Christ came in. Over 8,500 gospel songs were written during that period. The Pentecostal movement came. And as a result, there was a spontaneous chanting and an emphasis on that type of music. Chalk this one up. That is when the piano and the organ came in. Prior to that, they would never think. The piano was associated with a barroom, and so they didn't want anything to do with it. However, in the 18th and 19th century, and you and I, almost if people don't have a piano, they panic. But it wasn't even allowed until the 18th and 19th century. There was a shift to evangelism, but there was still the importance of the depth of theology in whatever mis- uh, music was written. Come the 20th century and then forward to today. First of all, the 20th century. Several things happened. A lot of hymn writing was done and there was an emphasis change to the simple and repeated ecumenical outreach and evangelistic outreach. Billy Graham, the Jesus Movement, Maranatha, the Vineyard, And contemporary Christian movement. Now listen, the contemporary Christian movement is different from contemporary music. That's a movement. When when you hear that from me, and a lot of people don't make that distinction, the contemporary Christian music has their awards on TV. They are centered on singing, groups, awards, and money. That doesn't mean it's just contemporary music. So that is something you need to make a distinction on. Popular music became big business, including the contemporary Christian movement, which it still is today. Rock and roll uh, emerged uh, in full force during the 20th century. There was a shift from what used to be the blues and country into the rock and roll music. Music shifted, and you can read this history, from cultural music to countercultural music. It was protests. It was against leadership. It was against government. It was against things, and so forth. Church music became more about evangelism, more about men's feelings towards God rather than the person of God. It was what man thought about God. Guitars were introduced into the services, and before you panic over that one or think anything about that, let me give you some history of Fellowship Bible Church. Did you know that our Bible studies were led by primarily guitar? They were. In fact, I don't want to embarrass my wife, but at the Bible studies, my wife used to play while well Pastor Stringer taught. That's a fact. It's a fact. They weren't introduced. Today, what you see to really move ahead is I really want to get to the last two sections of the message. Many instruments are used, all kinds of instruments. Today, I didn't keep track of them. We had a keyboard, we had a piano, we had an organ, we had a flute, and I didn't take a look at everybody. We probably had a violin. Uh, Who did I miss? Did I miss trumpet? Okay. Uh, no, a uh, clarinet, whatever that thing is. You know, one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Clarinet. There's all kinds of instruments today, folks. That's a reality. Um, And uh, most genre of music, I used. Entertainment has become an emphasis, though. Remember what I said last week and what you've learned. Music is used to appeal to get the unsaved in here. I hope you've at least learned that isn't what the church used music for. It had nothing to do with getting people in here. It had to do with praising God and worshiping among believers. Today, the emphasis is clearly on, by their own writing, what makes people comfortable in worship. Whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable shouldn't be the issue. It's what does God think? It's what am I doing to praise God? And there are many, many, many contemporary Christian groups that exist today. What are the practical issues? That's the second area of your notes. What are the practical issues? Let me give them to you. Number one. Change, what do you mean change? Technology has changed tremendously. Now, let me mention this. Just think of the Bible. In the past, there was very little access to the scriptures. In fact, if you go through history, the great Bible, and for those of you that don't know this, was a big Bible that was chained in the back of the church because people didn't have Bibles. And they would gather to try to read that one Bible that was available. And many couldn't even speak or read read the language. So they had to be taught what was in there. That's how you get the great Bible. Today, and there were very few translations. That is, I believe, why one of the big issues today are the concept of the King James only. There weren't many translations. Everybody used what was available. That is not true today. There are many translations available. The iPad, the iTouch is available. In fact, you can take, I have, I don't know how many volumes I have in my office. Literally, they're in three different rooms. And I have books at home as well. I don't know how many volumes there are. But they stay there. Literally, I could take on a small thing, I haven't got my phone with me, but a small thing as big as my phone, my entire library and have it with me. That's technology. That's true. In fact, I know some of you are probably dealing with the a computer or an iPad or something while I talk, because that's where you look up the Bible verses. There's nothing wrong with that. That's change. That is also true with music. In the past, there was no radio. There was no accessibility of music to people. There was no performance. There was very few groups that were around. Today, music has become a critical part of almost every human being all over the world. Part of everyday life. When you look back, they they went from no instruments, instruments the second area, to an organ. And you go around in Europe especially, you'll find many enormous pipe organs. That's what they had. Then piano. Today you've got orchestras, you've got drums, you've got acoustic guitars. In other parts of the world you have a lot of drums. You have all kinds of things that happen. A lot of it wasn't around then style has changed then basically you had black spirituals you had hymnals you had choruses now you've got gospel music contemporary songs you do have things called christian rock you th- do have things called christian rap etc etc and all i'm pointing out here first of all is that's why there's controversy you have all of these things that are going on back then you had basically one type of service people came They worshiped. There wasn't even singing that was involved. Today, as I started this series, I mentioned to you, I know of churches that have three morning services. Why? Because they're so big. Well, some of it has to do with size. But I know of some churches that have a traditional service, then they have a contemporary service, and then they have a combination contemporary uh, uh, traditional service. It's reality. That's where churches are today. And, And that's what's going on. What does the Bible say about these things? Let me deal with change, first of all. Now turn it up into high gear. Wake up the person next to you if they've been sleeping. What does the Bible say regarding change? Here it is. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Number two, the Bible does not change got that? He's given us all the revelation he wants us to have we're not getting anymore until as far as I can tell at least the millennial kingdom you know, we're in his presence get the third one man's heart does not change unless God changes it it is wicked and always will be until God gets a hold of it. What does change? Even scripturally, customs, culture, transportation. Look in scripture, you'll see it all. You'll see it all. What about instruments? Number two, what does the Bible say about that? Ready for this? Listen carefully. There are no restrictions on any type of instrument whatsoever. Pastor Dan, you just blew me out of the water. That is a fact, folks. When you look at the scriptures, you will find cymbals, flutes, harps, trombones, trumpets, wood, brass, silver, horns of animals, stringed instruments, wind instruments, percussion instruments, and on and on it goes. And that's just to name a few. There are no restrictions. There are other places in the world that you go to. I talk to a number of missionaries. I've been to a number of places that they don't have a piano. They don't even have an organ. They have drums. They have tambourines. They have whatever because that's all they have. The fact is today we have all kinds of instruments. There are pianos. There are organs. There are drums. There are acoustic guitars. Those are okay. God does not restrict them. In fact, let me take it a step further. There are some instruments that are designed to be with a certain type of music. What? Let me give you an illustration. Taps. Taps. Right? That is not designed for the piano, it is not designed for a violin. It doesn't mean that it cannot be played. Could you play taps on a violin? Sure you could. It's not designed for that. It's designed for a bugle. It's designed for a horn. That's what it's designed for. The Star Spangled Banner. I don't even know if I should go there. Most people can't even sing it right at events. And and some of it, when I hear what I heard of a rock star singing, I close my ears. It was horrible uh, when I when I was listening to it. The Star Spangled Banner. The best area that you will hear the Star Spangled Banner is when it's played with drums and cymbals. And it will move your heart toward the nation. There is no question. Why? It's designed that way. Why am I saying that? In reality, because of all the controversy, there are contemporary Christian songs that come up, some of which this congregation sings, but we're afraid to let one of those instruments come in because we're afraid of the instrument but they were designed for it, the power of the cross. I challenged a missionary, this is true, about a month ago on this. And I won't tell you what they said, but their response was absolutely tremendous. They just wanted to praise God. I had them listen to the power of the cross as it was originally written by the Gettys and heard. They were so excited for the things of God because the instruments were played right. That's a great song. It's a great song. But it wasn't designed for the piano. It was designed for other instruments. What about style? What about style, Pastor Dan? People say there's no mention of style in the scriptures. Well, I want to be careful with this one. There's really no mention about a particular style, style, and genres of music have things with them. And I'll say something, but I do want you to notice in your own study in 1st Corinthians 14 6 to 9 and 13 to 15 particularly. What that deals with is there are distinct sounds that are from, from instruments and if the person doesn't hear a charge they're not gonna know to charge and if they haven't heard this particular instrument so there are things that are associated with it but it doesn't mention anything regarding style in a church or not. However, I will say this and I think it's true with you. People know what they're listening to. When I'm listening to country music, I know it. I don't have to be told, and neither do you. If you turn on your radio, you'll know whether it's country right away or not. You'll know whether it's rock. You'll know whether it's rap. You'll know whether it's classical, and so forth and so on, by what you hear. The same should be true with worship. When you hear it, there should be no confusion what So ever. It should be obvious. Why? Someone put it this way, it's not my own thinking, but I think it was the best I've ever heard. The words should match the music. And the music should match the worship service. Plain and simple. Should match. Should go there. As far as the type of services and the type of songs, there's no mention. And it's always been a problem. I wanted to read this to you. Someone sent it to me, and I appreciate it. How many here, be honest with me, have ever heard the song, We're Marching to Zion? Keep your hands up for a second. We're marching, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Keep your hands up. Hold on. How many of you like it? All the hands stayed up, or most of them. Listen to this. Should we sing psalms and hymns in our church services? This was a controversy stirring many congregations during, listen, the 17th and 18th century. Isaac Watts was a lifelong champion of humanly composed hymns, while the majority of English-speaking churches insisted on traditional psalm singing. Tempers frequently flared. Some churches actually split in the heat of this decidedly unharmonious musical conflict. In some churches, a compromise is reached. The psalm setting would be sung in the early part of the service, and hymns would be used at the close, during which time parishioners could leave or just refuse to sing. Listen to this. One of those verses of the songs that you like, he put in there deliberately against those who wouldn't sing. Isaac Watts, come we that love the Lord, was no doubt writing this part to refute his critics, as well as to provide some subtle barbs because they refused to sing hymns. And he wrote these words, let those refuse to sing, let those who refuse to sing, who never knew our God But children of the heavenly king speak their joyous joys abroad. He wrote that verse in deliberate response to those who wouldn't sing. The current songs. And we love it today. We love it today. Still today, there exists controversy within some evangelical congregations regarding the use of traditional versus contemporary sacred music Although we may teach our own preference, cultural differences such as this should never be the cause for disrupting the unity of any group of believers. This epigram by Augustine, the early church theologian, is still worth our earnest consideration. Listen. Let there be in all essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity, a love." End quote. Rather interesting. This is not a current controversy. You need to make a distinction between contemporary Christian music and the contemporary Christian movement. One is an industry based on entertainment. The other is simply music of our day. That's all contemporary means. You also need to make distinctions. There is a distinction between personal use and corporate use. What a person does, we should not be critical. That is between them and the Lord. Whatever a person wants to listen to, let them listen to it. If they, if you can't listen to it, that's okay as well. But don't be good judging their personal life. What about corporate worship? When it comes to corporate worship, like a church, we have to consider all of the people. We have to consider the culture. Though people don't like this, you have to consider the geographical area you're in and what is acceptable. What's acceptable in Africa may or may not be acceptable in Great Britain, may or may not be acceptable in China, may or may not be acceptable because of the culture, because of circumstances. Listen carefully to this. When you talk about corporate, some groups may differ. What do you mean? I think what the teens listen to are probably not going to be what the senior saints listen to. Now, I'm not being critical, I'm being serious. We have to remember that. What you might have at a particular Bible study for music might be different from what's at the senior saints, from what's at the teen group, from what is in corporate worship. It is no, it doesn't have to all be the same. There should be flexibility there. Remember, God has given different gifts to different people. And we are to have, I believe, a balance, a balance. Keep this in mind, though. I want you to just see this for one second, because it's important before I get to the final things I want to say. Not all music is acceptable to God. What? Just turn with me to one passage. Go to Amos chapter 5. I need to do this quick. Um, Let me get to the heart of it. Go to 21, verse 21. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings, your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not look upon the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me, watch this, the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. And you can read the rest of it. The point is this. All they were doing was ritual and emptiness and noise. And God says, I'm not even listening to it. And that included their sacrifice, their services together, their music in every aspect, not just music. The point was this. Their lives should support it because it's a changed life. And whatever music is going on should be a reflection not just of the day, but of a changed life and a life that's giving glory to God, whether that be privately or it be publicly. Now what really everybody wants to know is where do we go from here? What about Fellowship Bible Church? And let me be specific. Our vision for the church has not changed. It is to know God. It is to glorify God. It is to make disciples of all nations. We have presented before the church, and we'll be doing this again in our annual meeting as elders, taking a look at the five marks of our church. What are they? Listen carefully. Unity. Imitation. Evangelism. Edification. And I ended up copying unity twice. That wasn't it. But I put unity twice. I think that's, Lord, allowed that mistake. I didn't do it on purpose. What was the other one, elders? Was No. Worship. Worship was the first one. Thank you. Worship. Imitation, evangelism, edifying, and unity. That hasn't changed. What are the distinctions that we want to be known for as a church collectively? Number one, application of the Word of God and preaching of the Word of God. That's what we want to be known for. If we're looking for, or anyone's looking for the service to change so that it becomes 45 minutes of music and 15 minutes of the Word of God, it will never happen here by God's grace. Preaching of the Word is to be the priority. Application of the Word. The other thing that we want to be a priority of Fellowship Bible Church is the unity of the body. That's why I've been preaching on it. We do not want to become a center of entertainment. We do not want to become music-centered. Music-centered. That doesn't mean there won't be changes, but we're not going to become music-centered. We believe as elders, and I believe for the congregation, and biblically, there should be balance and allowance for change. It is very important that we connect to the hymns of the past. Too much of that happens in churches, and too much of that happens in our nation, that people are not connected to the past and all the glory in what people have done before us. We should not throw away the hymnals. We should not throw away the piano or the organ. There's no reason to do that. But it is also important, folks, now listen carefully, to also connect with the current and recognize that there are contemporary writers that are writing music, and honestly, the older generation doesn't like this. But the fact of the matter is there are some godly people writing some tremendously godly music, and you've sung some of it. And the theological content is very good, better than what there is in a lot of that repetition stuff that goes on. Some songs, as I already said, are made for instruments. Is it possible that we will use other instruments? Let me say this, yes. And in fact, we have. There are people that when they walk in, if there's not certain instruments or if there are certain instruments, they decide whether they're going to that ministry or not. That's wrong thinking. It should be, what is the word of God preached? How is it preached? Is it it consistent? And then the music just becomes part of the worship. And it shouldn't matter. There is nothing wrong with an acoustic guitar if it's used properly, if it lines up with the music. There is nothing wrong with the drum. Oh, no, Pastor Dan. You've got to be kidding me. Listen, you enjoy it when it's done right. We're not talking about there is music that is so loud. There is music that is so powerful that you can't even hear the words, and you can't even worship because you get a headache. That is not the direction of this church. I want to reassure you that we are not going the way of the singing church. And in case some of you don't know who that is, Or what it is, it's a real church that's up in Hampton Beach. And I can say that because I was called and asked to be involved with them. And I gladly sat down with some of the leadership. And what I said, and they talked to me because they had no pastor at the time and they wanted some guidance. And I was shocked that they were talking to me. But they sat down and they talked. And I said, "Okay, let's talk about the service. What's the priority? Music. How long do you get for preaching? 10 minutes, no more. I said, forget it. I said, you want me to be involved? Let's get the service so that the teaching and the Word of God is what is the center, and then you talk to me about whatever music you want to use. I never met with them again. I wrote them a letter. They didn't respond. It's still going on. I just saw it advertised in the paper this week. Come to the singing church. I don't want Fellowship Bible Church known as a singing church. If another church wants to be known as a singing church, or uh, the church that rocks the, the, the world, that's fine. I'm not gonna judge that. But we wanna be known, in my opinion, as the church that not only loves the, God, the Lord, our God, but preaches the word of God and gets the word of God into hearts and has music that is balanced and has music that honors God and is not afraid of a particular instrument that is balanced the right way. Don't assume if you hear, uh, and by the way, for some of you that don't know it, I think it was Lisa LeMay used to play the drum right there. There's nothing wrong with that. It was done the right way and with the right sound. But don't assume because you see a drum or you hear an acoustic guitar, which is this is usually the case. Church is going down the tubes. They're going all the way so that in five months, we won't be able to hear ourselves at church anymore. That's improper thinking. That's no grace at all whatsoever. The music and the words should match. It shouldn't be so loud that you can't hear the words. It should not give you a headache. Whatever the music is in any assembly, in my personal opinion, with scripture, It should be allowing the gifts of God to be used, but done in a way that people walk out of there and they know that the preaching of the word, the music, the offering, the prayer time was all consistent and they really worshiped God. How should you react when you hear something, number one, that you don't like? Number one, that you think was over the top? Is that fair? With grace. With grace. I've just told you, will you see some different instruments? Probably. And we will probably go there, because they fit the songs. There's nothing wrong with it. Are we going the way that it's going to become so loud, or that it's going to be known just for music? That is not the intent whatsoever. But react with patience. If you think something was too loud, or if you think that something was inappropriate, what should you do? In my opinion, number one, do what it says biblically. Go to the person leading it. And be gracious. And say, you know, I had a little difficulty with that. I think that was too loud. I think that was over the top. I think that, in, But be gracious. Allow for change, but allow for mistakes. Don't you do that in your own life? Aren't you get glad that God doesn't strike you down? What would happen if you came in, and there was a song that was too loud? Be a little gracious, go to the person, and allow, because you know that's not the church's direction. That's not what we're looking for. Allow for differences in settings. People don't allow for that. The youth can be different from this room. VBS can be different from the teens. The camp ministry can be different from the Sunday morning service. There's nothing wrong with that. They're different settings. And don't tell me in your life there aren't different settings. When you go to a wedding, do you play the same music that you do in your car? Is everything always the same? You say, well, the style might be. okay." Do you allow for the grace of anybody else? If Billy Michaud, and I did not ask for permission, but I'm going to use this. Billy Michaud shared with me when he went to Africa that it was very difficult at first until he sat back, because they used instruments he had never heard of, and the music was loud. I said, what would you do, Bill? Bill, he said, he sat back, and he just prayed, and he listened, and what he began to see is in that culture, that was the best setting that he could see. And it was a situation where he saw that these are people were really praising God, and it was very consistent with a changed life, and it changed his whole thinking about music. We think everything's gotta be just like us in the United States of America or my personal life. I don't find that in scripture. Just being honest. Allow for grace. Are there guidelines? Allow me a few minutes here, folks. I'll give it a you quick. And I got pages of this, but let me, and I will be handing this to Pastor Chris and to the elders. Here's some guidelines that I took from a theology of music that I found that I thought was excellent. Music employed by the gathering of worship in a church should have these qualities. Number one, biblical. Number two, God-centered, not man-centered about our feelings. Three, it should have the quality of excellence. Four. It should be definitely of the Spirit of God, which means it will line up with the Word. It should be in truth. Six, it should be skillfully led by the leader. Seven, should be well prepared in advance. Eight, it should be meaningful. All the instruments and all of the music cho- uh, chosen should be meaningful to the service. It should be of the people. What does that mean? Goes on to basically say that the congregation should be involved in exercising their gifts as God has given them. It should be joyfully uh oh emotional. God's given us emotions. There should be joy in the music. Two more. They should be intelligible, able to be understood by all, able to be sung so that the words and the music line up, neither one overpowering the other. And it should be authentic. It should be authentic, referring to the realm of everything authentic. And it goes on to say, people, live people, singing and so forth and so on. I think those are excellent guidelines. Excellent guidelines employed by a particular actually denomination, denominational church. I close with this. Music should never be controversial. Don't let it be. Music is a struggle as we are honest with ourselves. It is. And all of us we started with that came out of different backgrounds. And some music affects us one way, and affects others another way. But don't judge a whole church ministry based on an instrument. Don't judge a whole church ministry based on the fact that you don't like a particular contemporary song. Do you think that the only gospel writers and the only God-gifted writers of music were born in the 16th and 17th century? That nobody before that and nobody after that has been led by God, I think that's foolishness. I'm thankful that God's still calling people into the ministry. I'm thankful that God's still starting churches. I'm thankful that God's gifted people to write contemporary music with depth. But it should line up with those things. And the service should be something that not caters to the young people, nor does it cater to the old people. Isn't the body of Christ a situation where we're all to be able to function and worship together? Absolutely. That is why, I want you to hear it from me, that personally I am not in favor of having two or three types of services. Why? I think the best way to teach your children and the best way for us to learn the word of God is to function as a body with grace and teach the people the old and allow for the new when it fits the right context. So I close with this. Let us be known for our love one for another. Let us truly endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let us truly be of a mind for others first. Four, let us check our attitudes and our reactions when something does not agree with us. Because it'll happen. But let us all collectively, my closing statement, let us all collectively truly seek for the glory of God, the unity of the body, the diversity of spiritual gifts, and catch this, and the interdependency of one another, where I need you and you need me and we truly work out those difficult areas. My God help us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I pray with all my heart that you've been honored with truthfulness to the word of God. I want to pray with all my heart for Fellowship Bible Church, that we will not be known as a church with disunity even in the area of music That, Father, you'd work with each one of us so that our ultimate goal would bring honor and glory to God. That we would not become like the world, but we would not be frightened by change when properly and correctly used. That, Father, we thank you for the technology you've given us even with the scriptures. We thank you for the technology that you've given us with music. We thank you most of all that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ that he's given us a new song, that, Father, we are to reflect lives that are filled with the Spirit of God, one that sings songs from our heart, that makes melody that's pleasing in your ears, that speaks one to another in psalms and songs and spiritual songs. And I pray, Father, that we'd be a people that are so concerned for your honor and glory that we'd have the grace to function with the grace that you function with us, that we'd forgive one another, we'd humble ourselves, put others first, but that, Father, we'd be seeking to just bring unity and glory in everything that we do. Might our worship services be such that they truly, when people leave this building, know that they've heard the truth, know that they've worshiped freely, and know that they've worshiped with grace, clearly, intellectually, And the sounds from our lips have borne honor and glory to your name. I pray that we'd have a good mix with our young and our old so that we can all freely worship in a way that's pleasing, in a way that's distinct even from what is going on in Christianity because we're concerned with the unity of the body. And I pray that your name will be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.